from the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford. This is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here is your host, Connie Coons. Hi everyone, it's Connie Kuntz and you are listening to the Guilty Pleasures Podcast. It is season one, it's episode 11, and the month is March. We have a brand new author with us. He's standing right next to me today. His name is Dan Libman. Hi, Dan. Hello, Connie. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Mr. Libman is going to read from his novel. Oh, call me Dan. Dan <laughs> is going to read from his novel, yeah. Married But Looking. The first chapter is In the Belly of the Cat. Dan, are you ready to begin? I am. I am. Now, if, if, you know, I'm used to reading this like at the readings. There's no microphone, so I'm used to shouting. So if I shout, let me know and I'll... I'll, I'll step back. Should I? Oh, should no, I you're back? fine. Okay. But there is one thing I have to say. Okay. In the Belly of the Cat hmm. was written by an adult. Was it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I was 30 when I wrote it. I guess that's an adult. Kind of an adult. Kind of. But adults yeah. should listen, not kids. Oh, yeah. Do you think? Yes, I agree. It. it uh, what does Ira Glass always say? It, 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 the existence of sex is mentioned. Yes, thank God. And some dirty ones, too, yeah. All yes. right, yeah. All right, let's begin. Send the kids out. The same day that he canceled all his newspaper and magazine subscriptions, Mr. Christopher deveined a pound of jumbo shrimp by hand. He had never done this before and used nearly a whole roll of paper towels, wiping the snotty black entrails off his fingers one by one. He also grated a package of cheddar cheese with the previously unused grater he uncovered in his silverware drawer, kneaded a loaf of oatmeal raisin bread, then called the escort service and arranged for a girl. I want Carlotta. She's a Latina, right? He had called the Tribune earlier that morning. Stop my subscription. The relationship is over. Deliver it no longer. The advice columns just rehash the same situations. Alcoholism, smoking, infidelity, although sometimes those columns are titillating, which I appreciate. The comic strips are contrived and the punchlines are never that good. That cranky columnist on page three ought to have his head examined. I think he's finally lost it. And your media critic is always biased towards the TV stations you own. But what I object to mostly, the reason I'm canceling, is because it comes too often. Once a day. And anyway, what good is it? I don't have that much time left, and do you know how much I've wasted over the years slogging through, reading and cringing, hands and fingers covered in the ink, hauling paper-bloated garbage bags stuffed with sports and food sections, which I never even touched, down three flights of stairs every week? Mr. Christopher was hurt by the cavalier way the man at the Trib took care of the cancellation. After so much loyal readership, he felt they should have at least put up some sort of struggle, a little token of respect. But Mr. Christopher, please think about it. You want to throw away 60 years like that? Not that it would have gotten them anywhere. His mind was made up. He had been a widower now for a year and a half. Retired, down to two-thirds of what he weighed at 40, dentures, a toupee he no longer wore but kept hanging off his hall tree, an artificial hip, and a brother a couple of states to the east whom he didn't like with a mouthy know-it-all wife. This had come to him one evening earlier in the week, a cold-cut sandwich and a pickle on a plate in front of him, eyeing the pile of papers. He had had enough of them. Mr. Christopher canceled all the magazines, too. The East Coast Arbiter, Harbingers, World News Ruminator, even the convenience store Merchandiser, a holdover from the work he used to do that they sent him for free. He was bundling up the last week of trips he would ever receive when his hand landed on a food section. Special dishes to commemorate any event, the headline said. I'll give you an event, he thought. How's finally ending 60 years of crap sound to you, Mr. Tribune? 
Mr. Christopher decided to open up the food section for the first time and cook those commemorative dishes. He mapped out what he needed to do in his head. Buy fresh fruit, two pounds of shrimp. He'd need to take a bus to that specialty food store for some of it. He even scanned the tips on what makes a good party. Fancy utensils, music, and special friends. He was cubing the honeydew for the fruit slaw when she buzzed. He gave a start and walked to the intercom and thought about how odd it sounded. No one had buzzed him for weeks, months, decades. He leaned down to the grill, painted the same off-white as the rest of the apartment, and pressed. Talk. Yes? Listen. You call for me? Talk. Who is it? Listen. This is Monique. You call for me? Talk. No, I called for Carlotta. Listen. I'm Carlotta. Buzz me in. Talk. Who are you? Listen. Carlotta, you want me, baby? He touched door and heard the faraway buzzing. She was in the building now. His heart raced. It would take a minute or two to climb the three flights, and then she would have to decide which direction to walk. That would take a few seconds. He was in 3A towards the front of the building, so she would have to look at 3B first, because it was right across from the stairs, and then make a choice. And she might choose right, which would take her to 3C, and in all this time he could back out, decide not to go ahead with this. He slid the security chain across the door. But he had already gone to so much trouble. He had found the escort service in another part of the Tribune never before looked at, the match ads. At the very end were listings for adult services. These included descriptions of women, measurements and height and weight, and he wasn't born yesterday. Mr. Christopher heard her footsteps and a knock. She had gotten to his door very quickly. Nervously, he touched his front pocket where he had put the money. It was a lot of cash to have at one time, the most he had carried in years. He looked down, considering himself, his paunch and his house slippers. He saw that the end of his belt was loose. He tucked it behind the proper loop in his corduroys, and she was knocking again, harder and faster. Yes, yes, he said quickly. Hello? It's me, she answered, as if it might really be someone he knew. He was suddenly grateful that she hadn't said, the call girl, or something provocative that his neighbors might hear, and he quickly undid the chain and opened the door. She was about a foot taller than he was, starchy white, with large fleshy legs and a tiny skirt. Her midriff was showing, and her shoulders were bare, too. It was a lot of flesh for Mr. Christopher to mentally process, and he sputtered once before speaking. No, he said, you are not a Carlotta, not petite, and not a co-ed. Carlotta sent me. I'm her friend Monique. She pushed past him. Mr. Christopher squinted against her redulent perfume as she breezed confidently to his living room. She had a small purse and tossed it onto his reading chair as if she had been in the apartment many times before. His apartment building had once been a three-flat, but it had been sectioned off into nine uneasy units. His living room was long, but narrow. A wall had been added to make a bedroom where the other half of the living room had been. Knowing that the three other units on the floor had once been part of his apartment made him curious to know what the other units looked like. On those rare occasions when a neighbor left the door open, like if they were getting ready to go out or trying to get a better breeze in the summer, and Mr. Christopher happened to be walking by, he would linger just a little bit, craning his neck slightly to get a peek. He always wanted to know how the units fit together, and it vaguely irritated him that two-thirds of his apartment were being lived in by other people. Smells good, she said. You're smelling the onions and the green pepper, which I will be using to stuff the pork chops, our main course. Having a fancy party, she asked, turning slowly and eyeing the elaborately set table for the first time. Although Mr. Christopher usually ate on his couch with his plate and a magazine on the ottoman, tonight he had set out the best plates he had, the good silverware. He had even put out two candles right in the center. No, no, it's just us, he said, taking a step to his cassette player. I already ate. No, no, I told the man on the phone this was for dinner and that it would be for dinner as well as the other stuff. A teeny version of Benny Goodman's clarinet came out of the box. 
No one told me, she said. I don't have that much time. I need you here for at least three hours. I told the man that. I told him I can't get all the food prepared in an hour, let alone eat it. We're going to have salad and soup and appetizers and bread. The bread's not even completely baked yet. You have an hour from when I got out of the car, and that was a couple minutes ago. If I don't get back to Mickey by then, who's Mickey? Look out your window across the street. The blinds were shut, but he shuffled between the table and the window and lowered a couple of slats with his hand. In the no-parking zone, an enormous man sat on the hood of a town car, feet spread eagle on the pavement, reading a newspaper. Even though it was a large and bulky car, it dipped under the weight of the man's bottom. "'What's he doing?' Mr. Christopher asked. "'Wasting time now, but I'm telling you, if I don't get down in 53 minutes, he'll come tearing up here. You've never seen anything like it. You won't be able to reason with him. You won't be able to stop him. He's going to come up those steps, bust down your door, and he'll clean your clock.' Mr. Christopher pulled his hands off the blinds and looked towards his kitchen. Okay, he said. We'll do it first, what you came here for, and that'll give me time to have the bread rise a little bit and also for the sugar, that's part of the dessert, to caramelize so that I can pour it, you know, drizzle it onto the flan. I need 45 minutes for dinner. That gives me 15 minutes for the rest of it. Can you do that in 15 minutes? Not even 15, but now it's already just like 12 or 11, as you pointed out. Can it be done that fast? Well, normally I have a routine I do, dancing and a rubdown, tickling on the genitalia to arouse you. If you want to skip all that, go right to it. Well, it's your money. I wasn't picturing dancing or a rubdown, but now that I hear about it, it does sound like fun. This is my first time, Monique, and you'll have to guide me. Your first time? A guy your age? First time with a call, girl. Okay, we better do this in the kitchen. I need to finish sautéing the onions. The kitchen had once been the hallway that connected Mr. Christopher's third of the apartment to the rest of the building. It was narrow and ended abruptly in a sheetrock wall. The floor changed from hardwood to linoleum about a foot away from the wall, giving the impression that it might have led to a bathroom or a utility closet at one time. One side of the corridor was a narrow countertop, now covered in fruit peelings, shrimp shells, and other food debris. Across the corridor was the sink, mini refrigerator, and a two-burner stove that was already covered with large pots. Another small countertop separated the two appliances. He found the food section and brushed some cheese shavings off the page and put his finger on the right passage. He took a sniff of her perfume and knew she was behind him. Clear and soft. I'm going to add the green peppers and the cumin and then cook that. Then I have to slice the fat off the chops and carve little pockets. He put a wooden spoon into his sautéing onions and turned his neck slightly so he could see her bare shoulder. She reached around him unceremoniously and unbuckled his belt and lowered his pants. His legs were hairy, with thick blue veins, but his underwear was shockingly white. When she pulled it down to his knees, she reached under and grabbed his limp penis. Her hand was so cold and dry that he jumped, but he didn't scream. He reached over to the small counter without moving his feet and began to scoop the melon pieces into a large blue bowl. "'I can't get around you here,' she told him from the floor. "'Can I open one of these cabinets by your knees so that I can move closer? I'll be able to reach you.' He said, hang on a second. I'll be able to turn around in a second. Do you you think? He took a pair of black food scissors and slowly began snipping away at the tips of the large artichoke. Do you think you could take off some of your clothing too? Maybe just your top? Otherwise, I feel too self-conscious to enjoy it. She pulled her tank top over her head, and when he turned around, she was kneeling in front of him with her hands folded in her lap. Her shirt was lying next to her, and he allowed himself to stare at her breasts. They were the largest he had ever seen, which made him feel a flash of pride, as if he had gotten a surprisingly good return on a shaky investment. Monique looked right at him and took his balls in her hand. 
Uncomfortable at the strange clinical turn this had taken, he cleared his throat once. My, uh, <clears throat> testicles. They're much larger than they should be for the size of, uh, my... She waved the comment away, which did make him feel better. She surely had seen all sorts of genitalia, and she leaned down and put him in her mouth. The tail on his kitty cat clock swung back and forth with each second, matching the absurd ping-pong eyes in the cat's head. The clock, painted into the torso of the cat, showed that he had only six minutes left for this part of the night if he was going to have the minimum amount of time he needed to serve the meal. A burning spit of grease from the onions hit him in the back of the neck. Concentration was difficult for Mr. Christopher, and without moving from his spot, he picked up the big wooden spoon and pushed his onions around in the oil. When he felt his legs getting wobbly, he put the spoon down and held the countertop. He was losing time now. It was going by quicker than usual. The kitty cat's eyes and the tail had been sped up by some strange force, but he had to admit that it felt good what she was doing. His legs shook, and he was afraid he might fall. He dug in with the heels of his house slippers and gripped tightly to the countertop, his hips involuntarily moving closer to the heat of her face. He wheezed from the back of his throat and felt her breasts against his legs, and he let himself go. Okay, he said. You can spit that out in the sink. She waved that comment away, too, and put her shirt back on. Don't spoil your appetite, he said, as he did the top button on his pants and pulled his belt snug against his waist. I told you I ate already. Look, he told her, I've got you for another... Thirty-three minutes. Go take a seat at the table. She left, and he turned around and scooped the last melon pieces from the counter and used his hands to mix it all up in the bowl. He felt tired for a second. Useless. He steadied himself against the counter and realized he just wanted to sleep, to pull the blanket up to his chest and open a magazine and relax. But the pot on the far burner began to bubble, and he remembered the magazines weren't coming anymore, although he couldn't remember why exactly. Mr. Christopher put the artichoke into the water and watched it simmer for a second before covering it. She was already sitting when he walked back into the living room. He used a book of matches and lit the candles. "'You're going all out for this dinner, huh?' she asked. Mr. Christopher wanted to smile, but he felt the pressure from the kitty cat. The soup was done, and he went back into the kitchen, aware of the pathetic way his hit made him look when he was in a hurry. He ladled out two bowls, making sure each serving had the same number of shrimp and pineapple chunks. Lemongrass soup, he said, walking slowly out with the bowls. He placed them on the table and sat across from her. What is that smell, she asked, cocking an eye at him. That's the lemongrass, he told her. It's spicy, and I hope you like it. Should we say grace? Mr. Christopher had dipped his spoon in and was stirring his portion. No time, he said, and slurped a loud mouthful. Mmm, he said, dabbing his lips with his napkin. Okay, you keep eating. I have to finish the fruit. When he returned three minutes later, carrying four small bowls, he was breathing hard. Beads of sweat glistened on his forehead. She looked up from her bowl and said excitedly, You know, this is really good, much better than it smells. I'm glad. You know what? The pineapple was even better than the shrimp. Pineapple and soup, she said, and shook her head. This is fruit slaw, and this is a cheese and pea salad. He put both bowls in front of her and took her soup bowl. Her hand clenched momentarily, as if she might yank the soup bowl back. And this pleased Mr. Christopher, but he didn't have time to think about it. Oh, God, the wine, he said. He went towards the kitchen, but turned around after a few steps and took the soup bowls with him. On the way, he limped to the cassette player and flipped the tape, which had stopped at some point. The music was back on, and Mr. Christopher poured two glasses of wine. The song was one he really liked, one of his favorites, Benny Goodman's Belly of the Cat, and he suddenly felt self-conscious listening to it while pouring a woman wine. He quickly asked, So, how'd you like the salad? Uh, it's okay, she said. The soup was exotic, and this is sort of everyday type of food, so it's kind of a strange menu. 
The food section said the salad is best served in a glass bowl. That way you can see the layers. The mayonnaise on the bottom, then the peas, then more mayonnaise, then the cheddar cheese, which I shredded myself. It's too bad I don't have a glass bowl. Why don't you sit down for a second, she asked. He twisted the blinds so he could see out the window. Mickey had put the newspaper away and was leaning against the door now, facing Mr. Christopher's doorway. He was dressed in a bow tie and a sporty tuxedo coat, like a bouncer at a banquet hall. I guess I'll sit down for a second, Mr. Christopher said, lowering himself uneasily into the chair, and rest. I had planned on a nice conversation with you. He dabbed his forehead with his napkin, but he still felt sweaty. So, he said, how many people will you visit tonight? I usually try to get five or six customers a night, she told him. At least four, but six is a good night. Eight is the most I would do. Uh, when I worked retail, it was the same. Just like you, get to as many people as possible. So that's something we have in common, you know, me and you. Mr. Christopher nodded once to himself. But about you, eight times in one night, that's a lot. Good for business, I guess, right? That would be real good, she said. Yeah, it's not that tough. How many times do you do it a night? Uh, usually none, he told her. But what's the most? He made a face. Hey, come on, for conversation. What's the most you've ever done it in a night? Well, if I've done it twice in a night, then two. But I can't remember. I usually get tired and there isn't enough time to rest up entirely. So we're different. That's why it's nice to spend time with someone, you know, to share different experiences. These sentences that he had prepared and even rehearsed a few times now sounded stilted and ridiculous in his mouth, although she was nodding in apparent agreement with him. Who was he trying to kid, anyway? He looked at his watch to cover his embarrassment. Okay, he said. Time for the main course. Let's go, let's go. He took her bowls away and returned a few minutes later with a platter. We gotta eat dessert now, but save enough room for the pork chops. They're still a little pink, and if we wait for them, we might not have time for dessert, so we'll go out of turn. She put her hand on her bare stomach. That's fine with me, anyway, because I'm not especially hungry. I told you that. I don't even know if I could eat another bite. He brought four helpings of flan, each perfectly shaped like a large quivering eyeball. He had hoped she would want more than one helping, but he knew that wasn't going to happen, so he said, I think it's time to make a toast. She picked up her glass of wine, which was still full. To a lovely night, he said. A lovely woman, a lovely meal, and a lovely time. He tipped his glass towards her slightly, and she did the same in imitation, and they both drank. Okay, he said, now dessert. He looked at his watch and saw that he had nine minutes left. When he checked the window, he was surprised to see Mickey was walking back and forth. His legs and arms were thick like sausages. Mickey checked his watch and looked up to the third floor of the building. It's time for the pork chops, he mumbled. Are you sure there's time? You don't want him, Mickey, coming up here. It's better that I should leave a few minutes early than he get mad and you come up those stairs and start banging on your door. I have eight more minutes of your time, Mr. Christopher answered icily, and he walked into the kitchen. When he returned a few minutes later, he was carrying a plate with two sickly pink and gray slabs of meat. Corn and onions had been stuffed into slits along the sides of the chops, but they oozed like puddles of sewage. Mr. Christopher skewered the largest one and tried to get it off the tray, but every time he lifted the fork, the chop slid off. Finally, he pushed it with the prongs onto her plate and slid the other one onto his plate. He put the serving platter on the floor. Bon appetit, my sweet. Are you sure these are done, she said, poking her chop with a knife. You really got to cook meat, pork especially, and I thought I saw these on your counter raw when I was in the kitchen. That's right, he told her. He cut off a slice. It was dull pink on the inside, and she looked away before he put it in his mouth. But I turned the oven up as high as it would go and had them in since we began eating. Mmm. Anyway, I don't have any more time. His lips were glistening, and he sliced off another piece and waited for her to begin. That smells good, she stood up. But I ate before I got here, and the custard and the soup, and that's it. I couldn't eat another bite. 
Thank you for the night. That'll be 140 bones, and that's not including a tip. Take a bite of the dinner. The bread isn't done yet, and we'll forget about the liqueur. I haven't begun to make the garlic butter sauce for the artichoke appetizer, so we'll forget all the rest. But I want you to at least try the pork chop. It's stuffed with corn and sautéed onions. You know, festively. He wolfed down another bite, swallowing it as quickly as possible to show how good it was. My money, she said, putting her palm out. My time, he said into his plate. This is all I wanted, for you to come here and have a nice meal and a nice time. It's my special day, and this was all I wanted. Listen, old man, you didn't cook it long enough. I'm going to wretch just from the smell, and I'm already nauseous from the spicy soup and the bowl of mayonnaise. He forced himself to take another piece of the pork chop. When it reached his tongue, his stomach lurched, and the meat fell apart unnaturally. He put his napkin up to his mouth and spit it up. When he was done gagging and had wiped his lips hard into the napkin, he said, The money's in my front pants pocket. Seven twenty-dollar bills. He covered his head with his hands and rested his elbows on the table. Give it to me, she said. It's too late, he told her. Check the window. The door lurched in its frame and then popped open. Monique put her arm around Mr. Christopher's shoulders. It's okay, Mickey, she yelled. It's okay. I'm all right. Mr. Christopher closed his eyes as a hand grabbed his shoulder and pulled him up off the chair. He opened them and saw Mickey's teeth, a row of little rat triangles. See that door, buddy? Mickey snarled. I suggest you hand over that money right this instant, or that's what's going to happen to your head. Money's in my pocket, sir, Mr. Christopher said, dropping back in the chair. Money's in my pocket, he repeated. He stood up and took a step back. Here. He put the wad of folded bills under the table. Hold on a minute. Hold on, you two. Hold on. He put up a finger towards Mickey and Monique and ambled into the kitchen. The pot with the artichokes was boiling over, and Mr. Christopher turned off the burners and shut off the stove. A stack of old newspapers were piled under the counter, waiting to be taken to the trash. "'I know your time's valuable,' Mr. Christopher called out, "'and I know I've wasted some of it. I'm sorry about that.' Brightening up, he slipped on an oven mitt and took the platter of pork chops from the oven. "'And six customers is a lot, and I know you're going to be going. Believe me, I respect the need for speed.' So maybe this will help with dinner. As he spoke, he wrapped in newspaper three of the juiciest chops he had. He pulled the artichoke out of the water with tongs and put it into a large Ziploc baggie. And when that was done, he dumped the rest of the fruit slaw into another baggie and the cheese and the pea salad into a third. I appreciate you coming over, Monique, and you too, Mickey. I appreciate the time you spent with me. Mr. Christopher pulled a brown shopping bag out of the garbage and put the moist newspaper packages and all the baggies into it. The soup was hot, but he found a square Tupperware in a cabinet and poured it in, burped the lid, and put in the brown bag with the rest of it. The flan was more delicate, but Mr. Christopher emptied an egg carton and filled the cups with the lumpy brown custard. I remember on Thanksgiving, Mr. Christopher called while skittering around his kitchen, or any food holiday like that, and Christmas, and the 4th of July, barbecues on the 4th, and at the end, the host would always ask what you wanted to, wanted to take home with you, you know, leftovers. He had no plastic forks or spoons, but now wasn't the time to worry about his stuff. It would be a long time before he ever had guests over again, if ever, so he put his nice silverware into the bag. Two of everything. Two salad forks, two regular forks, two sets of each spoon, fruit, dessert, soup, two sets of steak knives, and two butter knives. He pulled the bread loaf out of the oven, slapped the bottom of the pan with his mitted fist, and the oatmeal raisin mass fell solidly into the bag. That's when you know you had a good time, didn't waste your time, when you walked out with an armload of food for the next couple of days. He folded the top over twice, put his hand on his hip, and walked into the living room. The room was empty. Mr. Christopher held the warm shopping bag to his chest and looked at his door. It was only attached at the top hinge and looked like it might fall, and he could see past it into the empty hallway all the way to his neighbor's closed door. (laughs) 
Dan. Connie. I just went on an emotional journey. <laughs> I did. Thank you for coming along on it. Yeah, Thanks my for heart inviting is racing. Me. Oh, thank you for coming. Did I already say that? I think I already thanked you. Well, it's nice to be thanked. All right. And you're so welcome. That was fun to read. <laughs> I My heart is racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laughed. I'm sad. <laughs> Can we talk about that time in your life when you wrote sure. this? Okay, how old were you when you wrote this? Uh, I think I was... 30 i was almost 30 i was i was in grad school okay and it was kind of a fun uh it was a fun thing to write i was i was it was 19 the year was 1997 mm-hmm. and um i was in i was at johns hopkins and the teacher i was just thinking about this earlier today when because i was going to read it that it actually came from a writing exercise that we had been given in class and you know i teach writing at northern and i you know i always try to tell the students you you should just write work on these prompts whether you like it or not you never know what's going to come of it and this is an example of one that actually you know story actually did come out of a writing prompt and the prompt was you were supposed to write a physical description a place of let's see a description of the of a building or a location that matched a person Mm-hmm. So that was it. So that's why there's all that stuff in there about the apartment being cut into three, and then he's also an older guy, and his life's been cut and stuff like that. So you know, in the in the course of revising it all, it gets changed and stuff. But that's where it started. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. To, I had a week to write it because it, it was just for the class, and it basically just came out. Okay. Can we talk about the microcultures that exist inside the story? Sure. Let's talk about the cooking culture. Okay. He's an excellent cook. It turns out, yeah, I think he's surprised. Is Dan Libman an excellent cook? Dan Libman likes to cook. He's probably not an excellent cook, but he's, he does all the, like this dumb, you know, barbecuing and smoking. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of recipe books, like how to make your own chili sauce and how to make your own that I never touch, but I like having the books there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always forcing all summer long, force my family to eat badly barbecued food that's charred too much. But I do enjoy it. Okay. That's interesting. Um, do you like cooking for others besides your family? Uh, it makes me nervous, but I do. I Yeah, I do like it. So you invite people over to your home? You're comfortable with that? Yeah. Okay. You want to come by? Oh, you guys come by? We're already there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the culture of him having a newspaper delivered every single day for 60 years. Do you yeah. get a paper delivered? Not anymore, but I did when, um, when I lived in Chicago. Reading the newspaper was my favorite thing. I read the Tribune and the Sun-Times. I, I took the train into school and... I would read both papers, and it was a huge deal for me. I love newspapers. So you gave up the physical experience of the hard copy of the newspaper. Was that an easy adjustment for you? No, it was very difficult. It, it made me miserable. When we moved out here, um, I couldn't get uh, – you could get the New York Times, but you, it had to be mailed. Mm-hmm. There was no delivery. And um, I think the only paper we – we couldn't even get – because we live in the farm. We live in this very remote – it's not very remote. And not nowhere's remote anymore. But when we first moved out here, you couldn't even get the Register Star, which is the local paper here in Rockford. Can we couldn't we, get it delivered. Can we talk where you live? Sure. Okay. Where do you live? We I live on um, my wife's family's farm between. Um, it's in the Rock River Valley, beautiful Rock River, scenic Rock River Valley. Excuse mm-hmm. me. That's what it says on the billboards, and uh, like you know Byron, Illinois, and Oregon. So right around that area. It's very pretty. It's right on the Rock River. And uh, it's not that remote, really, but it was too remote to get the newspaper delivered. Now you can get it. You could get it mailed, but I, I couldn't stand the thought of re- getting the newspaper a day late. Of course, it sounds terrible. Or even like I think you could get it that day, but it was still like at noon. And then on Sunday, you know, the Sunday paper is what it's all about. You couldn't even get it. So um, 
I was very excited. Well, I was miserable not having a newspaper. And then I got excited when the iPads came around, and then you can get everything on the iPad. But the, you know, even the New York Times app, iPad app, is not the same as getting the newspaper. I really miss it. How do you get your news now? I get it. Well, I get the New York Times app. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like 20 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of teachers get it for free. i got to figure out that scam, but I'm, I'm I paying for it. I get 10 free articles a month for free. Okay, right, yeah. And I bide my time with each newspaper right so that i have something to read throughout the whole well in month. the trump era i don't know how you oh. can do 10 free stories a month i do that i'm done with that by noon mm -hmm. every day but um uh yeah we get it i mean there's a weekly paper that comes out the ogle the ogle county shopper mm -hmm. i really enjoy that it's not quite the new york times but so it sounds like you've lived in chicago you've lived in ogle county mm -hmm. and you lived in maryland yep what's your favorite place to live oh boy uh, I, yeah, I think now the living on this farm, it took me, the adjustment was huge when I came out here for me because I had always lived in cities or suburbs, you know, thereabouts prior to that. So like living in, in the country was rough. It took me probably a lot longer than most people to get used to it. But now I, I, I love it now. Uh, when you were at Johns Hopkins, mm -hmm. did you get to see the cells, the Gila cells? <laughs> no, what is that? Oh, the Henrietta Lacks cells. Oh, you no, know, this was like before anybody knew it all oh, that. okay. Yeah, that is there. That's right. You know what was there that was a big draw was the Hubble telescope? It was? Well, it wasn't there, but with a place where they sent, they beamed everything down, mm -hmm. that little center was there. So you could drive by and there was all this like screens and you could see whatever the Hubble was sending back at that moment. Okay, I have to ask about okay. this because your writing is very much on Earth. Mm-hmm. But you live in the country. That yeah. means you have awesome stargazing. Oh, yeah, that's so right. So what's your connection with astronomy and outer space? And I have a really good friend of mine. Named, uh, he teaches at the school named Keith Nyquist, and he's got a telescope, and he comes out pretty regularly. And he's he's one of those guys that's like, well, do you want to see the, you know, the, the frog nebula here it is you can point to it and find it and yeah so uh and it's just and it's great and we like to have parties where we have uh, you know he could come anyway but it, it, he we tell him to bring his telescope and, mm -hmm. and and people love to show up much more for my barbecue much more for the telescope than for my barbecued <laughs> food i understand yeah call back uh back to the building in your story okay. cut in half long weird have mm -hmm. you ever been in something like that um I did live in a building in Rogers Park mm -hmm. that I sort of based that on. That it was like that. It was. It was. It, it, my wife and I, when we when we first moved in together, we had this great apartment that had a little servants' quarter mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But but it was all. We only had a little portion of it uh, because they had done that. They had separated all the units, and everything just looked really goofy. So I mean, it, it, the floors even slanted in one of the places. But yeah, I, I always loved imagining what it would be like to just live in the kind of like have the whole floor to yourself instead mm -hmm. of having eight different families in there. By the way, that's the first time I learned about a six flat was my friend who lives in Rogers Park. Okay. So I went to Rogers Park in my mind when I read this. And this is before oh, yeah. I knew you had lived in Rogers Park. There you go. Anyway, uh, where did you meet your wife? I met her. Uh, we think it's a meet cute, but we think we're really cute. But we, uh, I, she, she went to school and her friends um, her her college friends were my high school friends. Most mm -hmm. of my friends went um, uh, they went to normal in the theater program, mm -hmm. and um, and I didn't go there. I went to Columbia College, but they all went to normal, and then she went to normal. So she all met. She she was hanging out with my high school friends. Anyway, this is a I've told it very badly, but the the short version is is that she hung out with my high school friends, and so after college, I was at a party and I met her, and they 
they but they had talked about her a lot mm-hmm. uh you know oh, you gotta meet this molly mm-hmm. and uh i did that's wonderful so how long have you been married 22 years 23 years it'll be 23 years this year mm-hmm. and do you have a family we do i we have a son and a daughter and uh, a dog and two mm-hmm. cats and chickens and uh I think that's it at the moment. That's the dream, chickens. That's, that's the dream, yeah. We actually moved here to Rockford yeah. to raise chickens, so only like to you? find out that you cannot raise yeah. chickens. I've heard that before. Uh, back to your wonderful story. There's a part where Mickey's coming up. Yes. There's this threat of this large man with sausage arms, sausage legs. Right. Do you know Mickey? Do you know Mr. Christopher? Do you know Monique? Have you ever uh, met these people? Not, you know, I, I think I know Mr. Christopher mm-hmm. a little bit. A, a, a little too well. Mm-hmm. I think I think that he's definitely. Uh, uh, I I know that I know him. Mickey I'm, is a little bit of a caricature, okay. and maybe Monique is too. Um, you know, I came up. Mickey was like I was really. You know, like I said, I was in grad school, so I just kept thinking about time. And you know, Mickey, like Mickey Mouse on the watch. I thought so. That's right. That's where I got that name from, and and that's why he's dressed like the in a tuxedo because mm-hmm. that's how Mickey looks on the watch. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if it. And not really. I mean, Monique is maybe a little bit just sort of a cliche. I, I didn't think so because she knew about food. When she right. criticized his cooking, that told me something about her. That's right. Yeah. And she and she sort of softens when she's eating the food. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's she kind of uh, she's kind to him. I do think you're a little hard on yourself as a writer because I thought she was rather well nuanced. Oh, OK. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Well, uh, you know, it's, I'm just fishing for compliments. Oh. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> Here they come. Yeah. You are wonderful. <laughs> This book, what has it led you to? The 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 married but looking. Yes. Uh, you know, I I I I was writing in this mode for a long time. These <laughs> short stories, and uh, where's it led me to? I mean, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure where it's led me. Mm-hmm. I, I I I've been working on a novel for the last couple of years, and I've just recently started to sell it. I've been a little disappointed at at um, my ability to sell a longer piece, but then you know, I sort of whenever I. If I if I get too many rejections in a row on the novel, I go back to a short story and send it out, and I seem to do all right with that. So it's sort of a fallback thing. But I, I would really like to – I prefer reading a big, ambitious novel to reading short stories. So I, I would love to be able to get one published. I, I have written a few, but I, I haven't been able to get any of them published. But, you know, I mean – Say that again. I prefer to write a – long ambitious novel that would take you months to get through that you wouldn't even want to get through it you know just you know something that sits sits there with you for a long time and that is your dream yeah yeah so this collection of stories is not your dream well it was before then and mm-hmm. then and then I and then I lived my dream and now and then I had to have another dream so I suppose we should tell our listeners that this is a collection of short stories about infidelity about thinking thoughts and thinking them through mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about how to cheat it's about thinking about cheating yeah, I, actually, you know, to me, it's like the, the idea that you're married but looking isn't even about cheating. It's just always like you're always I got the title from a Craigslist uh, category. Wow. Of me. It was it was married. But I've told that to people and they've said, no, that Craigslist never had a category. But I, I swear I saw it on the Internet. I'm somewhere. sure they did. Yeah. So there was a married but looking like match ad section. Mm-hmm. And I thought when I read that, like that's, you know, that really is even though People are in happy marriages and stuff like that, and it isn't even doesn't even necessarily have to be about a marriage. But everybody's always looking to what the next thing is, or you know, did I make the right decision? Um, it's just sort of the human condition. So mm-hmm. you know, if I think about like the short stories, 
I, I would get these published, and then as soon as I got as soon as I got a short story accepted, I would think, oh no, I should have sent it you know one notch higher up on the food chain. It would have I would have you know, and that's just what it is. You know, yeah. so I mean, you could say that's published, but looking does that make sense? Yes, so, I mean, it does. Yeah, I mean, it's not even it's not. So there really isn't a whole lot of cheating in the book. I think people are disappointed. There's, no, no. <laughs> there's, most people, most of the most of the people are married, but they're kind of like yeah, they're sort of testing the waters, not even physically, but just sort of in terms of their own. Um, you know, their own kind of headspace. Yeah, and man. most people are too afraid to act out on it, mm-hmm. at least the way I write them. Mm-hmm. That's how I live. Um, so published but looking. Yeah. That indicates that writing for you is your spouse. Mm. It's <laughs> The reason I'm I saying think, this is yeah. his last speaker, uh, uh-huh. writing is a mother. Work is a mother. For okay. Her. What is the metaphor for you? Because published yeah. but looking is an interesting thing. Yeah. I think my my actual spouse would would not want to hear that writing was my spouse. Although she's a writer too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know how a writer can not be married to a to another writer because, you know, your needs for time are so specific and mm-hmm. your needs for solitude. And you know, I can sit and stare for like four hours and then I could just say, yeah, I was writing, and <laughs> she'll be like, yeah, I understand what you're talking about because mm-hmm. that's that is what writing is. Um, yeah, the metaphor. I I think there's like a. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been keeping a journal since since 1979, mm-hmm. since I was in sixth grade. And I think for me, like everything else is secondary to doing to that process. And I, I, I'm pretty faithful to the journal. And so um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to I'm afraid sometimes it sounds corny, but it really is kind of like just how I process the day to day existence. I don't think I would understand my own life without the writing, without getting it down on paper and seeing what comes out. I love your writing process. We talked about your journaling when we Mm -hmm. met. And may I share what you shared with me that time? Mm, Sure. It's not bad. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, You usually write until something good, you get that something good that happened from the day Uh in your writing. And that day it was somebody stole your pen. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. It was so funny. I went, when I saw him later that night, I told him that story. And we identified with the person who steals your pen. Uh I love that you journal until you get to that moment. Right, right. Our family, we do three morning pages, Mm. uh, which is Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. You're supposed to do three morning pages every morning. Okay. And it's usually three morning paragraphs. And sometimes only three morning sentences. Without a prompt, it's just you have to write down, Mm -hmm. you have to get those out? Mm -hmm. And your whole family does it? Your kids do it? Jesse doesn't journal, but the five of us do. Wow. The five of us do. But we don't write until we get to that moment. We write to get it over with. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's absolutely, you know, I I hear you. Yeah. I know you hear me, but your discipline is there. You take it to nine or eight pages and you have that special moment. So you have it. That's... Sometimes it's clapping. sometimes I'm more disciplined than other times. You okay. know, like in February is hard. February, mm-hmm. I think February is hard for everybody. Ah, I love February. Really? I do. It's the winter. The days are so short. And it's cold. And um, it's just I just have that hibernation urge. I just want to get under the comforter. And, oh, I do that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier for me in the summer to like to 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 work for some reason. Okay. I don't know. Well, it's such a fertile time. Everything's blooming. Yeah, and there you go. Growing. I like that. Good. You probably yeah. have a garden. And the sun's out there up. Too. Yeah. We we do have a garden. I'm not I'm not the gardener, but. Mm-hmm. But it is fun to look at okay. and steal food from it. Uh, I want to talk about what you're writing now okay. and that goal. But before we do that, could you please tell us how to buy this book, Married But Looking? Oh, okay. Well, it's uh, you know it's it's, it's on it's online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazon has it. Uh, Barnes and Noble is supposed to have it. Mm-hmm. I, I I think Powell's has it. 
And you can also go to my publisher's website, Livingston Press. They have a website, and I'm sure they would prefer you to do it that way so they don't have to share the, the money with anybody. But, okay. yeah, I mean, it's not... Uh, not hard to find. I want to say something about your publisher real quick. Okay. Livingston Press yep. is in the state of Alabama. And it's a beautiful novel. Yes, thank you. I just I have I faith in that. Alabama now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's my it's my first uh, connection to Alabama. Mm-hmm. I was really excited when they took it and it's a great press, you know. I mean, it's it's the only press that I know that own it, I think they they exclusively do fiction. Mm-hmm. They don't publish poetry or or nonfiction, and uh, they get some interesting stuff. I just remembered. I know that some of the people who listen to this want to know how they can publish. Could mm-hmm. you tell about your process into getting published? through them well uh you know like there's a there's a whole lot of luck involved i mean i wish i could just this is sort of the key thing you young writers out there here's here's what you here's what you here's what you need to like and actually this is my wife's i'm I should cheat, but we talk about this all the time, and this is her thing: is that you, you just really can't control the publishing. See, all you can control is what you do and what you put on the page, and that's it. And it's out of your hand, and it's it's really difficult to to accept that. But you could send out a short story, and it could just get to the wrong guy on the wrong day, and then the next day, you know, somebody else will be there, and and she'll publish it. So, and all that stuff is completely random and completely out of your control. You have a nice scent quality about this how come you're not bitter how come you're oh not i'm very cynical? bitter oh, very very bitter not. yeah oh, okay. all <laughs> right. horribly bitter all right are you really no i i don't know i mean i i have a, i don't have quite a sense of entitlement about publishing like when, when i get a rejection letter i don't i very rarely think oh how could they not how could they turn this down i would just think like yeah of course mm-hmm. you know, why why would you publish this so it's easy for me to accept a rejection letter and 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 that's and basically a carpet bomb i send my stuff out mm-hmm. um there's none of the stories that have been published were sent out fewer than 20 times 30 okay. times the exception might be belly of the cat which um the first place I sent it to was the Paris Review. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did eventually take it, but it took them so long. I had already sent it out to 14 other places mm-hmm. and got rejections on all 14 of those places before they had said yes. Unfortunately, now, I was turned down. We do have a whole month with him, but I want to say a couple of things. He's been published in the Paris Review. Oh, yeah. That's just great. Oh, I, so, I can't believe it either. Believe me. That's, and you're yeah. a Pushcart winner. Right. Not a nominee. I can't believe it either. But it's because of the Paris Review. That's It's a different kind of a... And you're a prof. Yeah. For 20 years? Uh, yeah. Northern yes. Illinois University? Yep. English yep. prof. Yeah. So we're oh, with... living the dream. English prof. To me, that's living the dream. Okay. I think it's yeah. substantial. Well, I, I appreciate it. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. How was the 10-year anniversary of the shooting... At Northern, how did that affect you? For me, I, I didn't. I have sort of a, a disconnect from it. It was I, I my a student of mine. Um, I teach in a pro. I mostly teach uh, first year composition. I don't mostly teach it, but that's among the things I teach is first year composition. And um, one of my students was in that room, and uh, he survived, but he had um, buckshot in his head and stuff like that. And so, really, I mean, I it. it I don't know. I guess I, you know, it's 10 years. I don't really quite have it all processed, but it, it, it didn't really affect me that much, except that I could see that it affected him quite a bit. So I was able to sort of, it, almost as a defensive mechanism to, to just sort of filter it through his experience. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a terrible thing. And I don't know what, ha- this year, the, I think there was, was it a snow day? No, it wasn't. February 14th wasn't a snow day. Oh, they had a, that's what happened. They had a big, um, commemoration event planned, but mm-hmm. it was on the snow day. 
but they went ahead and did it anyway, but there weren't a whole lot of people there because it was a snow day, so people okay. stayed away from the university. So I'm not sure how it all played out. I saw a video of it. Uh, the bell was tolling, okay. and people walked through, and there were um, a flower memorial along the pathway. Right. It was lovely. They've made a nice little, They've made, and there's a little um, commemorative sculpture up, and they, 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 the building, they left the outside exactly the same, but they changed the inside. Mm -hmm. It's a much nicer building now than it was. And, um, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a really strange time. Okay. They, we had, uh, helicopters were flying overhead for weeks afterwards. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was media too. It wasn't like security oh, okay. or anything. And they had comfort dogs on the, on campus and they, the first day back, well, they canceled a week's worth of class and now, now it's just getting, this is like bar talk now. Oh. Well, they, they canceled a week's worth of classes and then they had us go to a uh, seminar where they taught us how to hug our students in case they wanted a hug from us. But we had to do it in a non-sexual way. Have you ever seen this hugging? Like, No. It's I... like, here, you put your hand on, on your shoulders. And that's this how is, you hug? This is how we were supposed to hug because they didn't want us touching our students. But okay. they were under the impression. Needless to say, nobody needed a hug from me. And so <laughs> it was not, not an issue, non-sexually or, or, or any other way. It was right. fine. Um, <laughs> but they had a, they had therapists in the classroom for, the I think, the first two days back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyways, it was bizarre. So is it a good time to write? Are those uh, good for times? humanity? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would say no, it's, it's, uh, it's, you should be writing if you have to write, but if you're, if you're looking for a way to pass your time, it's Netflix has so much good stuff on now. I, I would just, I would, I would do that instead. He doesn't mean it. No, but if you want to write, you should do it. You should pursue it. Tell us what you're writing now. Um, I'm working on, uh, I'm trying, I'm working on a big ambitious project. Well, I'm trying to sell this novel that I wrote that so far nobody's biting at. And then I also, I'm, I'm, I've got this bike trip in mind, mm -hmm. sort of a non I've been writing um, bike essays for uh, WNIJ, which is the local. And the Rag Bry is the last thing I've read. Mm -hmm. that, very good. I think that way. was the last one we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think um, I want to take, I want to do something bigger with, with it. And I had this idea about doing a self-sustained ride, mm -hmm. uh, just throwing like bags on a bicycle and going, doing route 66 that way, mm -hmm. which is people have done it. It's not that original I and mean, people do it every year, but um, I sort of want to uh, write a series of essays along the way, just on my own, kind of my own thoughts about, you know, family stuff and we'll see what comes out i'm sort of inspired by cheryl strade's uh wild mm -hmm. the way she went on that hiking trip and she was able to tie it together with some some of her own issues so something like that would you um be interviewing other people along the way or is this something that's introspective for you well i think it'd be both no but i definitely want to talk to people mm -hmm. i'm much more interested in talking to people than hearing my own thoughts in fact that's the one of the reasons why i, I might back out i'm afraid that i'm going to chicken out because i don't want to be by myself for six weeks honestly but, i don't think you should be i think yeah. that you know have somebody meet you i'm not gonna tell you how to do this but i do worry yeah i do think that you should <laughs> have somebody that. to you know right well that's the problem mile 40 or something that's like that. the problem is like who, who who am i gonna get to do that i have to it's it's a big undertaking but mm -hmm. well you know we'll see okay um uh, anyway, it's all it's all pie in the skies. I really almost like planning the essays and the writing stuff than I actually than actually doing it. So <laughs> I understand. So this is the fun part. So I guess I'm confused. I think you have other essays uh -huh. to share with us in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Will that be part of this bike story? Uh, no, it's just right separate stuff. Separate stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will the work that you're sharing next week and the week after that? Mm -hmm. 
is that going to be its own novel? Well, I, you know, they, it's, I have brought two, of, uh, two stories that are linked thematically, and they're, 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 they're short stories. They might turn into a novel because even though the character is different uh, in all three of them, uh, if I bring all three of them, I don't I don't know how many. I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to overstay my welcome here. We have five the, weeks. The guildy podcast. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you get tired of seeing me at some point. Um, I, 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 there, the, the character is different, but he's sort of dealing with the same thing, which is there's like a hint of alcoholism. Maybe, maybe he is an alcoholic. Maybe he's not, but it's something he's thinking about. Mm -hmm. And then there's like he's got some father issues, and then there's also he's also thinking about himself as a family man. So I mean, it is, it's it's not, none of it's too heavy, but. Um, but yeah, it could end up being a uh, a longer piece. I don't know. Okay. Well, is there anything that you would like to tell your listeners before we sign mm -hmm. off? Uh, this was fun. I, I appreciate Good. it. Thanks Good. for thanks for having me. This I think that's the third time I've thanked you, but I really mean it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want to read your three your three paragraphs, your morning paragraphs. Sure. Uh, that sounds so boring. <laughs> but thank you. So you'll come back next week. Sure, I'd love to. You'll share the new work. I'd be happy to. All right. And so we know how to buy your book. Mm -hmm. Just go online or go to Powell's Bookstore. Yeah, Bitcoins, whatever you want to <laughs> spend, they, they'll take it. And we'll meet you next week. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. How do I get my parking validated? Guilty Pleasures was made possible by Rockford Writers Guild. The Shumway, Rockford Area Arts Council, and you, our listeners. Remember to let us know what you think of Guilty Pleasures by rating us on iTunes, emailing editor at rockfordwritersguild.org, or joining us on social media. Find us on Facebook under Rockford Writers Guild. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Guilty Pleasures. This is your producer, Jesse Kuntz. Thank you for listening. Now go write. <laughs>